0: Give me some time. thirteen of the Setting the Edge podcast. I'm your host, Justice mosquito You can find me on Twitter at jumosq. The Jumosq. I'm here with my brother, my hermano, <laughs> Charles
1: McDonald. Oh, what's up, Atlodrigo? No oh, okay, there we go. I Had to get that one in there. <laughs> so well, what's up to the people, Charles? What's up to the people? We actually have a uh, a little bit of a somber note. Yeah, I'm, as a as you guys are aware, the Rams, Los Angeles Rams, last year they traded up uh boatload of picks to get to the number one spot to draft uh, Jared Goff, the quarterback from California. And uh, after, you know, watching him play his rookie year and breaking down his film uh, over the past few days, past, past few weeks, we have uh, we regret to inform you that he has passed away and does not actually exist anymore. Yeah, moment of silence. Moment of silence for Jared Goff and the Los Angeles Rams. Thank you.
0: All right, over to that so Matt Walvin said I had a film casket. <laughs> he, said I, he said I made a film casket. Um, basically, like, I just went on Twitter and was like, I looked up stats one day and was like, how bad was Jared got? Because you see all these, like, adjusted air numbers, right, and stuff like that. And, like, I don't really have a frame of reference for that because I'm an idiot, right? right? Which is why I was like, just watch the film, Aaron Rodgers, MVP, all that, right? So I ended up running numbers. I did, like, the whole, like, intercept – just simple stuff, right? Like, interception percentage, touchdown percentage, things like that. And I was like, all right. So it's kind of unfair to look at guys after their rookie years because a lot of these guys didn't necessarily start. But what – like, the other thing is, like, everyone started other than – like, in the past decade, right? Everyone started other than, like, Brady Quinn and, like, Jamarcus Russell and, like, Jake Locker. And there were uh, – Paxton Lynch. I think there was another, one more. It was uh, Johnny Manziel. So like that's the name of the guy that's the name of all the first round quarterbacks who had less than 200 attempts uh in their rookie year. Basically by looking at the numbers like touchdown interception all that stuff like Jared Goff is by far the worst and when you look at that 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 milestone of like 200 passes, right? You can pretty much tell who's going to be good and who's going to be bad. Like other than Matthew Stafford who was on that Owen 16 team, right? Yeah. Or was he he was coming yeah, out of the and yeah, 16 team? Yeah, he's coming off
1: yeah. of the uh, – that was the next um, year.
0: All right. Under new new staff, I think, too. So it's like, other than that, like, you could pretty much pin down, like, which guys were going to be good and which guys were going to be bad. And then people told me to watch film, and I, I gift a bunch of stuff. And I can tell you exactly why Jared Goff is messing up now.
1: I mean, well, I, I mean the biggest – I haven't gone as in-depth uh, with this film uh, as you, but when I was watching the defensive tackles for NFL 1000, I mean, outside of, like, the first half of that uh, Saints game – I mean, he doesn't even look like a like an NFL caliber player, you know. Mm -mm. Like I would be like, if you told me that this was an undrafted guy who was put in the lineup to close the season because of uh, because of injury, I believe that. But like, if I didn't know who he was and you told me that, yeah, the Rams just traded like a draft's worth of picks away to draft this guy at the top of the draft, I'd be like, that might be one of the worst draft day trades of all time.
0: Okay, so this kind of, this is on brand, okay? So, uh, first blog post that we wrote for Setting the Edge, we have three posts up now. You put up a mixtape. I broke down six-man protection for offensive line out of the pistol that we run. And then uh, our friend Dylan Bishop wrote about Leonard Fournette, the running back for LSU. you find that on setting, settingedge.com? Yeah. I totally know the name of that site. Um, so, I broke down six-man protection, right? You read it? Yeah, I did read it. Okay. So one of the things that I wrote about that, right, was like you can't blitz two guys from the same side because the numbers just don't work out, right? right. If you yeah. spread guys out, you're limiting what you can do in terms of blitzes. Like ju- guys just can't get home, right? So when you watch when you watch the Rams, right, one of the biggest differences is that when – so if, if Goff has a tight end, right, that means he brings another guy in the box and – That means he has to keep track of another potential blitzer, right? Yep. And he has no frame of reference for that at all. So, like, when people talk about numbers and matchups and things like that, and that's why Goff was going to be good in the NFL, one piece that we didn't have was, like, a heavy box, like, he has no idea what to do with a heavy box. Like, he he has no frame of reference for what these blitzes are looking like right now, and it, he, he has one-on-one matchups outside that he's just not getting to because he can't get there before the blitz comes, because he doesn't know when the blitz is going to come. He doesn't know where his eyes should be, like, how he feels that, anything like that. Like, he's very much like, if you give him two guys to track on a blitz, right, he'll figure out which one's coming. But if you give him three or four, like, he's he's a mess, and that, that rams... Okay, to run the offense that would best suit Goff, right? For immediate NFL success, you'd have to go four wide in the gun. Okay, I don't yeah. care what the personnel is like, tight end, whatever in the slot, but uh, not an inline tight end, right? And you're really going to run Todd Gurley with a with a five man with a five man five dudes blocking, right? Like that's they they can't coexist right now. Yeah, they do the same thing. But what's pro- the problem is they sided with Todd Gurley, okay? So on first and second down, they're still running under center, right? But people talk about blitzes in the passing game, right? They don't think about run blitzes. Like, run blitzes are still a thing. Like, if you have a run blitz, you have man coverage across the board. Your your linebacker's not too ga- – all he has to do is shoot a gap. And him shooting a gap against an offensive lineman – is easier than a nose tackle shooting against the offensive lineman, and we ask them to do that all the time. You know what I mean? Like yeah. linebackers are just quicker. If you're sending a linebacker on a blitz, there's a better chance of you blowing that up. Um, you could watch the Arizona game. I could tell you this for a fact. I mean, they're blitzing. They're basically in. They're in cover. They're in. They're in man free, right? Or they're in cover zero, basically the entire game. And they're just sending blitzes because what's happening is they're running. They're running under center early downs, right? Because they're trying to get Todd Gurley going, but they can't get him going because they're sending blitz. But because they only have one receiver to each side or two receivers to one side or whatever, right? They can't really pass because, like, your quick game concepts, they're, concept, they're passing concepts. It's not like, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it's like slant, like slant flat or something like that, right, where you're picking a zone. Um, if you have a tight end and a receiver and the receiver's outside of the numbers, you can't really run anything super quick against a blitz, right? So they have an identity problem that basically gets him third and eight all the time. And third and eight, Jared Goff, dude, dude, he, legitimately bad. in seven ga- in seven games, he made two good passes, two good vertical passes.
1: That's yeah. it. And one of them and was called two- back, wasn't
0: it? Yeah, one of them was called back. One of them was a touchdown. The other one was the, the first touchdown against the Saints, which was a legitimately great pass. Um, You saw a process every once in a while that did let him go deep, but like his mechanics and all that broke down because he's kind of scared of the blitz already, Uh, which like if people want to talk about uh David Carr playing Gabbert, all that, right? Like, I mean... There's at least signs of it, right? Like I don't know if I'm totally gonna diagnose them, but there's signs that it might be. Um, yeah, and I I, I don't so, know, man. It's just a problem. Like there, I can't I can't imagine how this team is effective on the offensive side of the ball unless they basically neuter Todd Gurley and they go four wide and they just go quick game with Jared Goff, and then when teams blitz and man, he has to hit deep shots that he hasn't hit before.
1: Yeah, and I I think like when, when you're talking about him being afraid versus blitz. He got a lot of credit at Cal for, you know, I think aesthetically looking uh like he was reshuffling and resetting his feet in the pocket, but I always kind of took it as like, I mean, maybe this dude was just like scared because I mean, besides like Peyton Manning, how many like how often do you see guys, you know, constantly just hopping around back and forth in the pocket like th- this is this looks like someone who's frenetic and afraid of contact and I mean, I I think that's kind of what we're seeing in the NFL and he, he it's crazy watching him just hold on to the ball for, you know, four five, six seconds and then just get walloped on a sack. I'm like, right. Does does anyone ever tell you to throw the ball away? How, 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 Dude, how do you get to this point?
0: There's a sack against the New England Patriots. I can't remember uh, what quarter it is, but they sent a slot blitz from the wide side of the field and he didn't even see it. Like, he's totally willing to just hold on to that ball for forever. Um, you talk about him moving around frenetically. I think it was against Seattle. You responded to the tweet. Against Seattle, he had that missed touchdown where, like, oh. he's scrambling around. He looks like Johnny Manziel sometimes. I think uh, Kean Fahey, friend of the podcast, right, uh, at, at Kean as fuck on Twitter. Um, <laughs> bleep, bleep that. Uh, at, at Kean AF on Twitter. Um, he was talking about how Goff, like, no one turns their back to the ball or no one turns their back to the play more than Jared Goff because he'll see the pressure and he just – he thinks he's more athletic than everyone. And, like, it's just – I don't know if it's a learning curve thing, right, or anything like that, but, like, he very, he has a lot of problems, right? And some of these problems I've never seen get developed. And when you look at the threshold of 200 passes and having 200 data points, right, um, is he going to get better? I don't know. Like, I don't think we've ever seen this. I mean, he's the worst quarterback of all time His last season was the worst quarterback of all time if you look at, like, NFL numbers, right? Adjust all these advanced stats and things like that. I think the only player who in under 200 passes in the past decade, first-round picks, right, who had a worse year than him, like, the only guy who was even close was, like, Brady Quinn, right? And, like, Brady Quinn was, like, out of the paint before he was even in the paint. So I don't necessarily even know what the hell you do with that. I think, I mean, Los Angeles, if Los Angeles lets him play out his contract, right, and he ends up being the starting quarterback... In the next four years, I think the Rams will probably have, uh what is it, four four winning seasons in the past 30 years. Like, their fans deserve better than that.
1: Yeah, and the thing with, with – so the people who are still optimistic about golf, I mean, numbers-wise, like, stats-wise, film-wise. There's it, it, two it,
0: passes. There's legitimately two passes. Like, yeah. I'm not even lying about that. I'm not being a jerk. I'm not doing – like, yeah, I would I, have gifted all the good passes. I, there's two of them, and one of them was called back.
1: Yeah, so are you relying – do you think a 30-year-old Sean McAvee is going to turn this around? Like, like, I, like I, I just don't see where you can be positive because he didn't show anything besides those two passes that would make you say, all right, this guy can be a franchise quarterback for us. Like, when you look at Carson Wentz, like, I think Carson Wentz's rookie year was really really overrated on twitter but at least he had like flashes you know where you can right. say all right th- this is going to be a competent quarterback for us down the line maybe he wasn't worth all those picks that we traded but we got one back for the sam bradford deal so that'll end up being okay but with golf like there's nothing like he, it, it, it their their passing attack got dramatically worse when uh he was putting the lineup for case keenum and case keenum <laughs> case keenum sucks too so it, yeah. it, it's it's crazy
0: we made fun of Case Keenum when he got a first-round tender by the by the Rams, and they were touting him around like he was going to be the starter next year and uh, last season next year. What I, I don't know. I don't know how tenses work. I'm really bad at English. Um, and we made fun of the Rams for that, and then they traded up. One, people forget that, like – I don't know if people forget. People don't talk about it, right? That, like, Carson Wentz, everyone had Carson Wentz going number one until the Rams traded for it, and then Matt Miller broke the news that Jerry Goff was going to be the pick. Right? Like, everyone thought it was going to be for Carson Wentz. Like, people don't – like, it might have literally only been the Rams who thought he – like, that Carson – like, it's very possible that that's how that worked out. And it might have been because he was from California and they were moving to Los Angeles. Like, it's not not beyond the realm of possibilities. You know what I mean? And, like, this is a team that let go – people always say, well, they're going to get their assets right, right? It's like, okay, look at their recent first round. Like, Greg Robinson – One, I think their offensive line's underrated, okay? Uh, Like, everyone made it sound like their offensive line was the worst thing on earth. Their offensive line, the offensive line's below average, it's not horrible. It's not a dumpster fire. We've seen way worse offensive lines than this before.
1: See, I think their offensive line is kind of underrated as a pass blocking unit, but I think they're abysmal versus the run.
0: Versus the run, uh, Derek was saying the same thing. I mean, I was only watching, I was only watching passing game, so... Yeah, I can only tell you about pass protection I think a lot of their losses were like You watch Arizona and Arizona I mean we've talked about this before Arizona runs a fake defense where they send a lot of inside pressure The Jets do it too um, It's that whole Todd Bowles, Arizona tree All of that, Rex Ryan guys do that um, They're sending a lot of inside pressure And it's like Goff has to get the ball out On third down, it's third and eight And he has to get the ball out before the linebacker hits him in the face And like he just wasn't doing it You know what I mean? It's like you have five dudes in protection they, They're sending six so it's like you have to win. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's that's on the court. That that then is on the quarterback. It's not on the offensive line for not having a sixth offensive lineman. Those plays are designed by scheme to have answers with that, and he doesn't know what his hot is. So, I mean, he's having issues with that. It's just a bunch of stuff, man. Like it's it's not pretty. No. It's not
1: pretty. And like people want to, they're sitting here blaming the coaching staff. And yeah, I mean, of course the Rams. Dude, the so this is
0: the thing. If if like. If they could have coach, if they can coach this out of golf, can't they coach it out of anyone? And then if they could coach it out of anyone, why do you have less need as your general manager? Because you just traded up everything. Yeah, like this is the same. This is the same. Less need. Who they're telling me assets, right? They're telling me assets. Greg Robinson isn't great. Tavon Austin's about to be a top. What is it? Top five paid wide receiver in terms of cap hit starting next season. He's going into second year of a four or five year deal, so that's going to hang around for a while. Um. Todd Gurley's gonna end up getting paid in two years, right? Or five, three years, I guess. I guess that doesn't matter. But so this team doesn't have draft picks. This team is a team that in free agency last year tagged Tremaine Johnson, didn't give him a long a long-term deal, and then let Janoris Jenkins walk for a super deal. And now they still don't have a deal with Tremaine Johnson, and they like they they might let him walk. Like this isn't a team that wants to spend in free agency. This isn't a team that has draft picks. Like the high, their second highest pick last year was uh, Tyler Higby, right? the fourth round dude who they end up getting from uh, that Tennessee trade. And like the only reason he was hanging around was because he like said racist stuff was it Islam, Islamophobic, at least Islamophobic stuff in a, uh, in a bar. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like he-, he didn't drop because of his talent. Like, is that what, is that what this team's going to have to end up being? It's going to be Dominic Easley, right? It's going to be Dominic Easley. It's going to be Tyler Higby. It's just going to be like a bunch of guys who basically got in trouble one way or another. Who have to find here because they this team doesn't have assets and doesn't want to spend money.
1: Yeah, and like I, I was like I was about to say before you rudely interrupted me and went on a tangent like you always do. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I was going to say like people were blaming the coaching staff, but like if you're in the NFL, you should be able to throw a slant pass, you know, with, without having to worry about getting a pick six every single time. Like right. you you can't throw a five yard pass into the dirt or like or have it be so telegraphed that You know, Deion Jones almost has like four interceptions in that uh, uh, That Falcons game. game. So I I don't really see what there is to be optimistic. I guess maybe your pride if you thought he was like the best player in the draft last year. But we all have bad takes, man. It's okay. It's okay to let the dream die. And
0: I'm I'm not immune to that either. I mean, I I had Goff ahead of Wentz. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I I was I wasn't a Wentz guy, but like I had Paxton. I had I think mine was what was it, Paxton Lynch, Jerry Goff. Carson Wentz, I want to say yeah that was that was my top three and like that's fine but like adapt to new information you know what I mean like yeah. <laughs> he legitimately was throwing interceptions because he had the ball placed on the wrong shoulder of a slant route right and like I was talking to Matt I love what Matt Wallman we both love Matt Wallman yeah this is no shade I'm just telling you guys what we were saying on Twitter you guys can go find the tweets I'm not scared um and he was talking about how he made he made he basically made an analogy about like the air raid being English and, like, NFL playbooks uh, style, whatever, West Coast, whatever you want to call it, right, being Chinese. And I'm like, that's fine, but, like, throwing it to the right shoulder on a slant is, like, a smile, right? That's universal. That's something that you learn in, like, peewee ball.
1: Yeah, it, it's it's just – there's there's really nothing – I mean, like, like you can uh, – if you're not blocked by him, Kian Fahey, he he's done a lot of uh, – you know, breakdowns of golf on, on Twitter. And I mean, there's, there's really just nothing there that you can say he did this well last year and we're going to try to build. He doesn't that. know
0: he, there is not one single thing that he does well, like that he does above average. And that's concerning. Cause I mean, Eric Stoner's talked about this, right. And Josh Norris has talked about this where like, you don't, you don't get good at things that you are bad at. You get better at things that you are good at. And what's Jared Goff good at. And it's like, he used to be good at counting, Six in a box and figuring out which one of two guys is coming and seeing stuff pre snap. But unless they go, you know, unless they go gun four wide, then this offense looks nothing like, um, this looks nothing like California. So, like, I bet we get a lot of stuff for, we're going to get stuff from Patrick Mahomes, right? Because Patrick Mahomes is an air raid guy. He's going to come into this draft. Yep. Um, there are things Patrick Mahomes does well. He has a strong arm, right? He has a strong arm. He is a legitimate playmaker like he, he can if he can break the construct of a play and survive like that's not something Jared goff was great at and i mean you could see him getting chased down turning his back to the play all that in the nfl right now like i think i don't know man he's just not good he's not yeah, good
1: I, I think that's it he, he's not good rest um, in peace rest in peace so that that, that was our uh, our our eulogy from mr goff hopefully that he can turn things around and be a, a bottom seven quarterback instead of a bottom one quarterback <laughs> of all time of all time of all time
0: of all time okay so uh the world is flat and general reeves got beat up in pittsburgh or he beat someone up
1: yeah i mean the way that 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 uh arrest warrant described it like he got charged with like assault terroristic threats and like <laughs> dude like, w- what what happened <laughs> you know yeah at first it sounded like like he he got he, jumped like, that's yes, his first it sounded, sounded like he
0: got jumped yeah it
1: sounded like he got jumped or like they're harassing him and he was just like hey come on guys just leave me alone but then now that he like he turned himself into the police and like when i saw that when i saw he got <laughs> he got the terroristic threat charges i honestly just like died laughing because that that's intense that's really intense
0: they're gonna put him on they're gonna rename, rename uh rikers revis bro
1: yeah it's done for Revis silence.
0: I mean, he's d- he's done in the NFL. That's one other thing is people were like, "What if Daryl Revis moves to safety like Charles Woodson?" And I was like, "Do you understand how much money Daryl Re- like Daryl Revis is making, man? Like, that's not safety money. That's no. like still top end cornerback money. Like, yeah. there's no way." So, uh, who is it? I want to say uh, Albert Breer. Uh yeah, Albert Breer from NFL Network was the guy who was like, "Dude, there's like they were gonna cut him anyway." and I was like, "I told you guys, y'all are some idiots." Yeah, I mean, um,
1: it's sad because I mean, I think Revis is the best. I mean, he's the best. Revis, cor- Prime the best Revis was corner. the best corner, best corner I've ever seen, I, easily.
0: We talked about this last week, right? Where I was like, I think Marshawn Lattimore can be Revis good, which is better than Sherman good, and oh, somehow yeah. people don't understand the difference of
1: that. Yeah. Um, the Revis Sherman. You see his attorney? What's attorney say?
0: His attorney was. Uh, I just saw. I just saw a clip, and he was like, Re- like my my client didn't hit anyone. But if he did hit anyone, it was it was out of it was out of self defense. It was like, all right." Is the OJ? Right. If I would have done it, if if I would have done it, if I would have done it, I didn't. But yeah. this is how I would have done it. Yeah. So yeah. Dary- Daryl Revis, uh, bad luck going into free agency.
1: Yeah, and it, it's a, a, I mean he he has crashed and burned uh, to close his career. I mean it, it's crazy because I mean when you go back and look at his pro day numbers, I mean he is he's like he was like an all time athlete coming out of uh, Pittsburgh and. Father Tom's undefeated. It, it just kinda crashed and burned on him towards the end and he just can't run like he used to and he, he's out here getting smoked by Terrell Pryor and the Browns and Kenny Britt has way with him too. It's just it, it's it's hard to watch him now. Hopefully he just yeah, retires so he don't have to do this anymore.
0: Thirty year old skill players, bro. It's the same thing with Adrian Peterson. Adrian Peterson's got like one point eight yards per carry or something right now, and he's like the best running back we've seen since LT, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Um Let's go over some other stuff that happened. Uh, Daniel Jeremiah's mock draft. Uh, he had uh, Mitch Trubisky uh, going in the first round. The Buffalo Bills trading up for him. Uh, Daniel Jeremiah, who quoted us in, uh, in his most recent piece with uh, Bucky Brooks, right? Yeah. He, uh, he quoted us for the Patrick Mahomes thing. We're making blurbs everywhere. Josh Norris, you're, you're on
1: watch. But we still love you, Josh. Uh, even love- though I know you're not listening to this. So yeah, that was really cool of DJ to uh, you know put us on NFL.com and kind of cite us as a quote unquote source, even though Ian Rappaport just kind of spilled the beans for us there. Uh, hopefully, we can get them on sometime. That'd be pretty cool. We're gonna try. I think
0: we've heard our chances though, because the the very next podcast after the podcast that he he referenced was like the first segment that we had was like, "Hey, let's rip up DJ's mock."
1: Yeah.
0: Oh well. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> but still, I mean. That thing about Trubisky, I think I think that's probably gonna end up happening, man.
1: You think they're gonna also, trade to the top?
0: Yeah. Cause they, they have to trade up. They have to trade I don't know who they're gonna trade up for, right? But if you do think that is gonna go number one, um, I think they're gonna trade up. Also, I was I was talking to you about this. Uh black quarterbacks. We're talking about black quarterbacks again. So if y'all if y'all wanna tune out, go ahead and do that. Um we have what is it, five of the six underclass quarterbacks? who declared in this class right yeah. are black we're seeing up to four now being mocked in first round drafts and w- there's been one draft in the history of the nfl where uh multiple black quarterbacks have come off the board in the first round i think i was looking i didn't realize what year was
1: that what year was that uh
0: 1999 it was Akili smith donovan McNabb, and dante culpepper okay but like so that's 1990 when Andre Ware was drafted was the second time a first round black quarterback was taken.
1: Yeah.
0: And I mean, I think what I I looked it up and I think it was like 14 of the 32 NFL GMs um, were in the league at the time that Andre Ward became the second black NFL first round quarterback. So it's like when people say like, Oh, the NFL's changed. It's like these people are still kind of hanging around. Right. So like, if you do think that at least some
1: bias is hanging around, right. Like, these people haven't been replaced. No. And I, I think you were telling me that only two black quarterbacks have ever gone number one in the draft, Cam Newton and James Winston.
0: No, 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 no. So, I mean, Mike went Mike, Mike want too. Um, oh, yeah, but yeah, that's right. But I, I was telling you, uh, like, as it, as it stands today, right, you can watch Tampa Bay go against Carolina, and in 2017, that might be the only first-round black quarterbacks. Like you can point to one game and be like, they're they're all playing in this one, that are starters at least, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> but we see mocks that are consistently picking three three dudes in the first round. So, I don't know, man. I don't know. Like like I said, I don't I don't want to be like narcissistic or anything like that, but I'm like three of them. That seems
1: optimistic. Yeah, I, I I don't really see it happening, and I mean I've talked about this on Twitter a lot, but you you, you still see like societal constructs like seep their way into sports and people always want to separate, you know, race and sports. But I mean, it's, it's impossible. It's it's impossible. So when when you think about how, you know, black people have been thought of in the past, you know, and still today to a degree about being, you know, intellectually inferior. And then you think about quarterback being, you know, the peak of intellectualism on a football field. I mean, it's, it's a very clear path of connection as to why there aren't that many black quarterbacks in the NFL.
0: Okay, so let's talk about something. Eric Stoner, right? Yeah. Um, Eric Stoner talks about the whole, a team either adapts the identity of their head coach or their quarterback, whichever one is more, uh, I guess, dominant, right? You'd say. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think if you're pointing at at race being a factor, because a lot of these, some of these quarterbacks were just bad, right? A lot of these black quarterbacks were just bad. Like yeah. DeMarcus Walker, uh Jamarcus Russell, right? He's just he's just bad. Like he's just not good. I think the two largest fallen stars that you can point to, maybe even three if you kept Josh Freeman. I don't really like I feel like the Josh Freeman thing is like still kind of crazy. We don't really know. Um but the Vince Young thing, right? Where Jeff Fisher legitimately sideswiped him like before press conference. Like he would have meetings with Vince Young, right? In his office, Vince Young would walk to the podium, and then by the time he was at the podium, the press already knew which questions to ask him about conversation, private conversations that he was having in uh, the room with Jeff Fisher. Um, you can go listen to, I believe, uh, Dan Levitar's Southeast Sessions. He had one with Vince Young. I think it's like around the 45-minute mark, somewhere around there, where he starts talking about Jeff Fisher and just basically trust issues and stuff like that. And then the Robert Griffin, uh, the ro- whole Robert Griffin saga right yeah. in Washington. And it seems like there's a legitimate thing where it's like I'll, I'll, every single one of the top quarterbacks in the league, even Brady, right? Every single one of them has, like, a dominant personality, right? And it doesn't end up becoming a problem, in, like, for any other quarterbacks other than qu- quarterbacks of color, right? Like, it, I, I don't know. There's not, a like, there's just not a white dude that I can, like, point to. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then, crap, there was another thing that I was going to talk about. Cam. Um, Cam? What Cam? About Cam. So when Cam went one, when you talk about like adapting adapting uh, personality of you know dominance of quarterbacks, right? Right. Like he came in he came into the league with the no tattoos conversation. Like that was the conversation that they had. Yeah, I remember. It was that. like yeah. okay, but like you need to settle down for the jump. And it's like you didn't even have tattoos at that point. You know what I mean? Where it's like, we just need to put you in your place first thing. Um you talk about I mean, Ron Rivera, I mean, Ron Rivera, Cam Newton, you don't think there's a power struggle there right now?
1: Oh, there really? definitely is. Really?
0: <laughs> really, after watching 2016, you don't think there's any any sort of red flag that would say that there's some sort of power struggle that's happening right there that doesn't usually happen with quarterbacks? I
1: don't know, man. Yeah, I, it, I mean, I could go on about this for hours, but uh, we're, we're, we're uh, approaching, you know, half an hour for this uh, early segment, so we're going to kick it to, uh, you know, <clears throat> to... Uh, uh, interview with Stephen White. He used to play for the Buccaneers back in the '90s, and he does uh, really great defensive line work on SB Nation. And I'm I'm sure he's going to get started, you know, with these uh, draft prospect profiles in in a few weeks. Do You have anything you want to plug before we uh, uh, kick it to Stephen? Uh, nope. Uh, follow us. Follow us on Twitter. We have a blog. Yeah, we're we're, we're uh, slowly posting things to a blog. Don't expect it to be like routinely updated but every once in a while we'll, we'll post some goodies there oh actually i do have something to plug uh my free agency defensive tackle piece for nfl 1000 will be out uh sometime this week i think on the 22nd so it, it was like 5,000 words if you could just at least click it and retweet it when i tweet the link out that would be amazing i don't expect you to read it all because it, it, it's I, it's pretty dense but just just give me just throw me a retweet
0: same, same thing for mine i did on on uh defensive ends i mean there there's not there's not too many great defensive ends. i mean do you want to talk about that a little bit no. like which defensive tackles no no not all right okay really. kick, kick it at stephen white then.
2: all right we'll be back right back
0: We're here with our guest Stephen White. Uh, you can find his work on SB Nation. Uh, Stephen, go ahead and say what's up to the people. What's up to the people? <laughs> so you're. <laughs> so this is a. I mean this this podcast is loosely based around football, and Chuck and I both played uh, defensive line ball. I coached defensive line ball. He coached defensive line ball. Um, you played in the NFL. Uh, so we just thought it was natural to kind of bring you on, especially since you're doing uh, draft evaluations. Do you want to drop your Twitter handle and all that? We're usually pretty bad at plugging people.
2: Um, Yeah, my Twitter handle is FGW94. And if I haven't blocked you already, feel free to follow me. But (laughs) I do have an itchy block finger. I'm just going to warn you right now. (laughs) I'm not that guy you tweet something stupid at, and then think we're going to have a conversation.
0: We're going to hit that door
2: closed. All right, let's start here. So, what do, what
0: do you block someone for? Someone uh, in my mentions two days ago had like the Nazi Swatska uh, avatar and was asking oh, me about white cornerbacks when I was tweeted about. <laughs> <that>.
2: <laughs> 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 hey, listen, yeah. look, I wouldn't even care what the content of the tweet was. You got a Nazi Swatska, so you go. I mean, I just look, <laughs> that or that Pepe the Frog. Look, no, look. I, Oh, I'll yeah. look at your timeline and give you a chance. But I'll see Pepe or Nazi or anything <laughs> of that nature. You know, I'm not going to see the irony in it or whatever you're trying to get at.
1: No. Really? Uh, or if you have, nah. like, Deplorable in your display name, you're gone.
2: You're gone. Man, look, I've seen people follow me. Like, I got a notification, a push notification. I just want to go right in there and unfollow me. I- I'm going to force unfollow you, Mr. Deplorable, so-and-so, MAGA, No. Uh uh. Nope. Go find somebody else to follow.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, so I guess we'll start out with this. Uh we got a question from uh our friend Mark at Dramatic Mark on Twitter. Um he was saying or uh actually we'll go to uh bets. So uh basically like what was one what was one of the guys who did well in the NFL as far as when you've done draft evaluations, right? One guy who you were surprised succeeded in the the NFL so fast after watching him in college.
2: A guy who I thought succeeded so fast, I was surprised. Um, I'm trying to think. So, like, kind of like... Khalil Mack is a guy that, you know, that was that year where it was him or Clowney. Yeah. Right. And, uh, you know, the thing of it was, is that Khalil Mack came from a smaller school. So mm-hmm. you did get him, I believe it was against, like, Ohio State, where he just went completely off. Like, he had, like, right. you know, three or four sacks. I can't remember who it was. it was. It was one big school he played against. I think he played, Baylor, like, Baylor
0: and Ohio State. I think he played Baylor and Ohio State that year. And he went—I think that right tackle ended up being uh, Taylor Decker, who got yeah. drafted first by the Lions.
2: Right, well, against Ohio State now, he— Played all over the place like he was whooping everybody. Yeah, the game, that was two definitely sets, a showcase game for him. I mean, he was he was ridiculous. But that was really you know I I take a word for him from the Bella game. I, I can't actually remember right now, but you know those are only two games where you really could see him against top notch competition. He was just so much better than everybody else uh, that, that he played against that was on his level. You know the college that he was playing at. So it wasn't even, like, it wasn't fair. I, I'm watching this thing, and I'm just like, they, they, there's nothing they can do with this kid. So um, when he got to the pros, I, I I wasn't sure. You know, I was very excited about all the things he could do. I mean, he was a dude that was like a normal-sized college defensive man, you know, not like in his 300 pounds or something like that. But they would kick him inside at three techniques sometimes, and he would get busy in it. So yeah. I'm like, there's a dude that's like two, you know, Two fifty, two sixty pound, two hundred sixty pounds, and isn't afraid with well, going there three technique in battle. You know that they, the sky's the limit for him. But I, I just, I was still kind of like, you know, the level of competition. What's he gonna do when he's seen Ohio State or better every week? You know, can he be consistent? But that that kid, you know, hit the ground running. Once he got to the league, the the, the Raiders had no idea what to do with him his rookie year. They had signed all these kind of edge guys. Uh, the guy from, from the Steelers, one of their uh, 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 edge rushers, I can't remember his name right now, number 54. I always remember people by their numbers. I guess it's old football thing. <laughs> but he was number 54 for the Steelers. And then they had uh, 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 Justin Tuck. They got him from the Giants. But then they ended up uh, 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 drafting Khalil Mack. And they, didn't, they weren't sure where to put him, where they put him at, outside linebacker, where they put him at defensive end. But as soon as they changed their defense, the next year, man, that, that kid has just been ridiculous. And in this past season, I was so impressed with what he would do in the fourth quarter. Like, he—he—he, he, he, there were some games where he was relatively quiet for three quarters. But kind of fourth quarter, man, he would just take over. You couldn't block him. So that's a guy that kind of surprised me a little bit. at the time, I said, I kind of flipped him. I said, Clowney would be the dude who would end up being a defensive player of the year guy where I thought, you know, Khalil Mack would probably be a Pro Bowl type guy, but never that all pro or, or maybe never get that all pro or defensive player of the year type thing going. So those guys kind of flipped over.
1: Yeah, uh, I remember it was a game against Carolina this year where he had that uh, the strip sack to close the game on Cam Newton. I think it was against Tri Turner, who's kind of playing opposition at right tackle, but when he when he takes over in those fourth quarters and he did it versus Denver too, on that uh primetime game he he's a, he's a really special player all right let's move on to the next question um from uh Brandon c at ball from grace would you rather have a guy who gets a sack a game on average or a guy who gets constant pressure but not as many sacks
2: um constant pressure I, look I, i'm gonna tell you like this. I'm not one of those people that says that a pressure is as good as a sack. A sack is the best thing on earth. Like, you know, I, I've had sacks and I've had pressure. Trust me, I didn't feel the same after pressure. <laughs> I, I wasn't really trying to dance and stuff after a pressure, is all I'm saying. But at the same time, if you got a guy that's getting constant pressure, he's winning all the time. I, I was telling people this about Mario Williams before he went to Miami this year, um, they were saying that he fell off in Buffalo that last season or what have you, or he just stopped playing hard. And I was like, no, that's kind of what Mario Williams has been doing. It's just that Mario Williams only needs to win one time a game, right? He still was going to get double-digit sacks every year, but he wasn't getting constant pressure. It's just people wasn't watching him enough to know. They just looked and see, well, he's got 10 sacks again. He must still be a pretty good pass rusher. But no, he was a guy who just needs to win once a game. But I'd much rather have a Michael Bennett, who you know, you you think he's had double-digit sacks a bunch of times, but he really hasn't. But that dude is all over the quarterback as soon as they go the first whistle. Right. so well, you Michael know. Bennett
0: just beat the Pro Bowl with like five sacks or something this year. Like, and right. he still, and he still is like you watch and you're when he when he was healthy. I mean, he was banged up for a bit. When when he was healthy, you're like, this is still Michael Bennett. You know what I mean? Like, the numbers just sacks, – sacks are kind of tricky, man. Sacks are, sacks are super tricky, especially for a guy like Michael Bennett, right, who's rushing from the inside. I think pressures matter a lot more on the inside than they do out too because if you're pressuring as a D tackle, you're making a quarterback fly out of the pocket where if you're on the edge and you're getting a pressure, and that, that quarterback can step up. You know what I mean? Like, if it's a four-man rush, there's a lane for him to step up into the pocket. So I don't think it matters that much.
2: Oh, Let me clarify this. When I say pressure, I'm not talking about you just almost get there. Like, And and that's something I, I make sure I try to do in my writing. I want to make sure that everybody understands exactly what I'm saying. When I say pressure, I'm talking about you hit the quarterback as he's throwing the football, or you force him to throw the football away, and the ball is incomplete. That is my definition of pressure. So I'm not just saying like, you know, when I say a pressure, I mean that the result of the play is the pass was incomplete, and you were the closest person to the quarterback at the time, forcing him to make that throw.
1: I like that because I mean, you see a lot of times where uh, a guy, a quarterback, will get pressure, but he'll just roll out of the pocket and still complete the pass. I'm like, yeah, you can chart that down as a pressure, but the play was still a positive for the offense. So I think that's kind of where there's a divide between you know the definition of a pressure, and I, I like it better if you if you just cut it off at the pass is incomplete. that's a pressure. If the pass was completed, then you, you don't really need to mark it up as anything.
2: Right. Like, if, if I was going to hit it up, if I was going to write it up as something, I would just say uh, a hit on the quarterback. I, I used to track that when I was uh, evaluating the Bucs uh, uh, sometimes. But, you know, other than that, I mean, it, yeah, like you said, it's great. You made a move, but who cares if they completed the pass or if he ran for a first down? Yeah. Right. All right, so we got another question
0: from our friend at at the Ben Natan. Um he, he's he's uh, he's an Oregon fan. Uh he saw Eric Armstead and DeForest Buckner both drafted to uh San Francisco when they're running that that 3-4. I don't think 3-4 doesn't mean what it used to mean, but it seems like San Francisco now is switching to a Jacksonville style uh four three. Where do you think that that uh Eric Armstead and DeForest Buckner are gonna end up fitting in that defense?
2: I gotta love how you said that was a Jacksonville style. Four three, rather than a Seattle
0: style.
2: 4-3. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I love that. But um, I have no idea what they're going to do with both of those guys because they're the same guy in that right. defense. In in the Seattle or Jacksonville or um, now, kind of you know the Atlanta four three. You know, a lot of times you have a strong end. A guy goes from uh, side to side. You know, if there's a the tight end or something like that, and they only Normally they only really play on early downs unless they're a guy that you can kick inside a little bit too, uh, you know, on passing downs. But they're, they're, I mean, they're both like six seven. They're both, you know, strong as hell. Uh, you know, not necessarily the the most athletic guys, but you know, they're, they're they're good enough. But you know, you you only really need one strong defensive end. Right. Um, so, and both of the, I think both of those guys were first round picks. I know, uh, Butler was pretty high too. Yeah. I think, I, I just, I think they both just, went
0: first half of the first round. So they're both like super high first round picks.
2: Right. I just, I, I'm not sure how now I, I believe Buckler might've played a little bit more inside this year, but still like, you know, you would think if one of them's going to be inside, they'd be at a three technique and not, and not a one technique, but I just, you know, I don't super athletic either. look at either of those guys being like Michael Bennett or right. um, you know, the, the, the kid, the Jacksonville just signed from Denver this year, Malik Jackson. I don't see those guys being a uh, Buckner and, and the other kid. I don't see them being like those guys. So I, I don't know, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see how they work it out. Sometimes uh, it works out. It works itself out. And then sometimes it doesn't, uh, like, you know, Mario Williams, I, I've seen before the Dolphins signed him, where are they are going to play this guy? Because uh, when Cameron Wake gets healthy, you got two guys that only play enough defensive end. Yeah. And sure enough, about the middle of the season, it was pretty evident that, that Cameron Wake was out playing Mario Williams, and Mario Williams couldn't play on the right side, so he was the odd man out. So uh, it could end up being a, a very similar situation where you have just you know, two guys who are so similar that you'd be better off kind of, you know, leveraging one of them for some other kind of asset like a draft pick.
1: Yeah, it's also, it's it's interesting because you don't really see teams play with like two interior guys that are both six seven, And I, I think with the only uh, example I can think of that working would be like uh, John Henderson and Marcus Stroud in Jacksonville back in the day. But usually you don't I feel like you don't really see teams with like two interior players that are that tall. I mean, just because it, it's it's hard to play inside like that.
2: It really is. And um I, I think Tennessee kind of tried to do that a little bit. But 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 the guys they had were like six seven. They weren't quite that tall. But the Albert Haynes were, you know, six five, six six. But it, it's just, you know, we can only name one or two teams where that kind of things has worked or they've even tried it. Then I'm not necessarily sure that that's the way to go with it. So um, we'll see. Right. Um, that, it, that's look, starting, they're starting, all the way over anyway. So to me, I, I don't really see, you know, anybody on that team on either side of the ball. We can say, well, we can't do without this guy. Even even though those are two young players and they just got there, you know, I, I don't see them being so attached to either guy that they're just like, well, we're just gonna, you know, put square. Pigs and round holes to make it work because we just can't, you know, better to to lose either guy. I just, you know, they're starting from scratch, so who really cares?
0: Yeah, this, this Stroud-Henderson thing almost kind of reminds me of, like, when now that people get a look at Russell Wilson and they're like, all short quarterbacks are Russell Wilson. That's how I almost feel like everyone's saying <laughs> tall, tall, defen- tall defensive tackles, every single one of them H- Henderson. And I'm like, that's not – that's not really how that one end up ends up working most of the time. Like it's just kind of hard to. One of those guys well, is going to have to play nose tackle if they play inside, so it's like that's not that's just not going to work. One of them's going to play three, one of them's going to play five or
2: whatever. Look, I, like I say, when you can think of one or two situations where it worked, then it's probably not the way to go about it. You know, normally, you know, you you talk about uh uh, uh you know a situation that's actually common. You have plenty of names you can come up with. If you can only come up with Henderson and, and, and uh, Stroud, I mean, yeah, they're telling you right there. That's probably not going to work out. And it's not like Jacksonville won a championship with those guys.
1: Right. <laughs> yeah, that is right. true. Right. Uh, All right, so
2: we got another
0: question from uh, our friend Logan underscore M underscore Marty. He said, what's one thing on tape that makes you say no to a player player immediately? Is it going to end up being first step?
2: Nah, it, look, for me, I, I feel like most guys are, are coachable. So, it, technique stuff, I usually, I may not like it, or I might just be like, "Who who is their defensive line coach? He's terrible. But I, I'll, I'll kind of, you know, give a pass on it. Uh, effort is a big thing with me, though. Like, that, that will really, you know, caused me to, to look at you sideways. Chris Jones, uh, the kid for Kansas City, they, they got in like the second round, to me was absolutely a first-round talent, but I didn't see first-round effort from him all the time because he, w- he should have been literally unblockable in college. Like, he was that good. Anywhere. You could have put him anywhere. And I said when he got to, to the pros, they probably would just line him up all over the field and let him just whoop on people, but he, you know, I, I just know that w- when you have bad effort, man, effort usually doesn't get better from college to pro. It, it, it usually doesn't. I might stay the same, but usually you're an effort guy. If you're going to be an effort guy in the pros, you are an effort guy in college. So, you know, some guys labor are late bloomers or whatever, but for me, if there's one thing that really does kind of rub me wrong about a guy, it will be effort.
1: Yeah, and I, I like like once you get to the league and start getting those paychecks, I feel like I mean obviously I, I I can't speak for experience, but it'd be I feel like it'd be a little bit harder to motivate yourself a little bit if you already had you know those effort issues in college.
2: Well, it depends on how how big those paychecks are. Like if you're a guy, you know what I'm saying. Like <laughs> yeah. if, if you're a guy, see, this is the thing people don't really sometimes understand about being a professional football player. Right, there's like ten guys on every team that know for sure. Hey, I'm good regardless. It don't really even matter. Now, that doesn't mean that they're going to rest on their laurels. Usually, the reason why those ten guys have that kind of a uh, a uh, 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 peace of mind is because they worked so hard already, and now they got you know a big contract, and they they've earned this, and they've you know been pro bowls or whatever. But most of the rest of the roster, man, might be week to week. Like, if you know, if you miss enough blocks <laughs> two weeks in a row, they might get you up out of here. The, the only reason why I ever got to be on the active roster uh, after the six week of my, my rookie season was because the guy who I ended up replacing on the active roster uh, showed up late to a meeting. And then got in the game and, and, and couldn't stay in the seat gap. And we let uh, Barry Sanders' backup run for over 100 yards on us after Barry Sanders had already run for over 100 yards on us. So, like, you know, literally that dude, he you know, he might have thought he was good for that season. He played six, six weeks already, but they got rid of him and, and elevated me because of those two things. So um, when you're in that situation, it's easy to stay motivated because you just don't know. Like, for me, I got cut several times my rookie season. Thought I might get cut again after that. Um, was always, you know, you get down to the last week of training camp, and they would always run this column here in the paper. It said, on the bubble. And every single time, even when I thought, uh, uh, you know, I had done a great job all preseason, every single time, there's my name, on the bubble. So it's a little bit easier to stay motivated in that situation. Now, now the back of the roster guys are making a lot more than we did back then. But still, you know, if you if you really want to be an NFL football player, and you're not one of those ten guys who already have the big contract, or just you know was was drafted in the first round, or whatever, and just know you're going to be there, I, I think it's easier to stay motivated. All
1: right. That's a that's a great answer. So our, our next question from uh, our pal Derek Klassen at QB Class: What are the advantages and disadvantages to having two uh, defensive tackles who can play both spots like Carolina does versus a more traditional setup?
2: So you- well, here's the thing: it, it, it's not it's not. <laughs> Look, if you got two guys who can do both, of course you're in the best possible situation. It's just most people don't have. Two guys who can do both. That's the issue. You know, who who thinks you're going to get a, a star to Lele uh, 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 and then follow that up and, and get the other kid? Um, Kwan Short. Kwan Short. And, and even Kwan was kind of a late bloomer. He, he only got a double digit sacks last year for the first time. Um, so, you know, when you are fortunate enough to, you know, <laughs> roll two sevens like that then I think every team would do it. If, if, if you could, it's just you normally are not going to find that because it's so – it's really – I always say this, and look, I, I'm not trying to devalue them, but you can just about make anybody into a nose-tapper. You know, you, you be mad at me if you want to. <laughs> and, 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 and uh, my good friend Booger McFarland was an a, a outstanding nose-tapper, one, two Super Bowl rings. For two different teams, but you can. Booger was drafted to be a three technique and then ended up staying in nose tackle. So, yeah, I, I I just believe you can make anybody into a nose tackle. You can't make anybody into a, a, a three technique. You, you got to have so many different um skill sets in one. You got to be tough, take on those double teams. You have to be athletic to be a pass rusher, you have to, you know, have great effort. You are the tone setter in a 4-3 defense. So, you know, you have to be just, you know, be able to do it all. And so there just ain't many defensive tackles who can. And so if you are fortunate enough, like I say, now Kawan Short is a little bit more of a three technique than Star is, but it works because Star is just good enough to get by three technique, and he doesn't play it all that much because he ends up normally being the nose. But uh, I really do believe for any defense coordinator that, that, that their coaches a 4-3 or, or runs a lot of four-man lines, if they could have two defensive tackles that could do both, they would.
0: Right. Like, I think, uh, who was it, Pittsburgh? You used Javon Hargrave, like that that day three kid out of South Carolina State. He was a rookie last year. And they ended up playing him as like a shade or one-tech uh, nose tackle a lot. And that defense, And I mean, that that was plug-and-play. And he was like a three-tech prospect coming out. And that was the dude who played FCS ball, was drafted day three. And it's, it really does seem like the value for – I mean, you don't have to do anything other than go, go on like track or something and look up what defensive li- which interior defensive linemen are getting big money. And you can see there's a huge difference in three techniques and nose tackles. It's night and day almost.
1: Who are some of your uh, like your, some of your favorite younger guys to watch in the league on the defensive line?
2: Um, some of my favorite younger guys to watch. Well, I already talked about Leo Uh Melvin Ingram is a personal favorite of mine, and he's another. But he has short guy. arms.
0: Stephen White, he can't be good. He has short arms. Draft Twitter said that he can't be good. Listen,
2: listen. Um, Chargers fans for some reason don't seem to like him very much, and I'm so confused, like it's another one of those situations where I I see, you know, stuff fly up my my timeline, you know, basically kind of dogging the kid. and I'm like, what film are they watching? I mean, this dude is, now he was hurt early on in his career uh, with the Chargers, and you know, that definitely curtailed him out the gate, but man, this dude in South Carolina, I loved him in South Carolina, because he was a dog, right? Like, I love dudes that got their dog in them. You can just see it on tape. You can put him anywhere. He'll play nose tackle for you. And I bet you he'll blow up the summer. <laughs> and you just, you just know that about him. You can just see it. But, man, you put him out of space, and he's going to give you the business. So um, I, I love watching him play. I love, And I can just see, now that he's not injured, now that he can really do, uh, 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 you know, really show people what he can do, you can just see the swagger in him, too. Like, you can see him really enjoying football now. So, I really like watching him on tape. Um, of course, Aaron Donald is just phenomenal. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, he's probably – now, he, he was the rare guy who had bad effort. But he made me get over it. Like, he was that good in college. <laughs> in college, I mean, they lined him up a defensive end in the bowl game. And he just whooped the right tackle so bad it wasn't even funny. And he's a defensive tackle. Yeah, you know, and I mean, he just he can do it all. And, and now, now, I'm 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 a little concerned about to switch the the way Phillips, because I know while everybody wants to 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 say that <clears throat> the three four and the four three ain't that different anymore because so many teams run nickel that that's just that's just not true. That's just not true. And so we'll we'll see. What Wade does, but Wade is a three-four guy. That's who he's always been. Yeah, he was four-man too, but he runs a lot of four-three. And really, like that was the cheat code that he used against the uh, Panthers in the Super Bowl. He went a lot of three-four alignments, uh, so a lot of green dogs and red dogs. And it's a lot harder to kind of you know navigate those blitzes when you have true three-four alignments. And I think that's why he really. Uh, uh, enjoys running that defense, but you know, Aaron Aaron Donald is a lot of things, but he's not a three-four uh, defensive end or defensive tackle to me. He's he's a four-three up the field guy all day long. So yeah, you know, I, I may not I may not enjoy his film as much this season. We'll see, but um, he just does things on tape that not very very many other men that's ever played the game could do.
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm still not convinced that Aaron Donald is human. I mean, he ran four six at 285 pounds, which is just
2: yep. that. That's yep. crazy. I see. I see. I, I played with two, you know, freaks of nature. Basically, Warren Sapp did the same thing at over 300 pounds, and so did Booger McFarland. So uh, you know, it, it takes a little bit more to impress me. Yeah. <laughs> I like some people because I got to actually practice with two. Guys that weighed over 300 pounds that, you know, ran like some receivers. Uh, but, yeah, that kid, he, you know, I see it. A lot of people will say, oh, this guy's the next Warren sap or that guy. The only guy I've ever really said that about is Aaron Donald. Yeah. And I, th- I think, you know, so far he's proven right. You have any funny, like, Warren Sapp stories from back in the day
1: that are not too egregious no.
2: to say? <laughs> No, I don't really, you know,
1: yeah.
2: I'm trying to think, you know, there's plenty of funny stories about stuff on the field, but most of them have already been, like, talked about and reported, so, <clears throat> yeah, we just, we had a lot of fun, i I tell you that, in practice, and, <laughs> yeah. you know, just those six years I played with him were, were something else. <laughs>
0: All right, so since we're talking about 300-pounders, we got this question from our friend uh, at Swole Tide on Twitter. He said, what's the most amount of food you ever seen an NFL player put down in one sitting?
2: I don't know, man. Look, I used to eat a lot, too. Matter of fact, <laughs> um, one time uh, we were playing Minnesota in Minnesota back when we used to actually be in Minnesota's division for some odd reason, Tampa, Florida, and the Minnesota Vikings. Sure, why not? Um, but I was, I wasn't playing that game. I I was injured and they had like the best breakfast ever for some reason. Like it it was just like all these delicious pancakes and as much sausage and and bacon as you can eat. So I'm thinking to myself, well, Hey, look, (laughs) I'm not going to be able to eat again until after the game, even though I'm not playing, you know, I got to be on the sidelines and the locker room and all that stuff for the whole game. This will be the last time I eat until you know everybody else. But unlike them, I won't have that adrenaline high and stuff from playing. So I better go ahead and, and load up. Man, I before you know it, I was on my third plate, something like that. Yeah, it was it, it was epic. We, we 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 talked about that meal for a long long time. <laughs> <laughs> Who ate more? You were one oh, yeah. sap. I don't. I, that day, I definitely did. I can tell you that much. Even he made fun of me <laughs> the way I ate that day. So, yeah. Uh
1: right, Here's a – we got one last question for you uh, from uh, Ad Dramatic Mark again. Uh, what are some key things you look at when evaluating a prospect's footwork?
2: Balance. Like, balance. the other way to think to me that, that I think more people should be looking at is balance. And it, it's not – see – it's something that you can only find on the film, really. No kind of, uh, you know, combine numbers are going to tell you about this. But is this guy on the ground a lot? You know, um, when he turns the corner, does he slip and fall a lot? Um, when he makes his move, it, does he make it clean? Is he stumbling? You know, how often does he finish the rush? And these are things that, that I, you know, when I watch tape. Um, they kind of stick out to me. I actually track how many times the guy's on the ground because they're clumsy you know rather than just you know sometimes you're going to just end up on the ground it's just going to happen double team whatever. but if you were just falling all over yourself, um I put that that 's an o g on the ground so um you can't really play defensive line if you if you have really poor balance um and, and and this is where I start kind of, you know, uh, projecting what a guy can be, because you know some guys just aren't fortunate enough to have a good defensive line coach, somebody who can teach them good fundamentals and stuff. And you so you you know watch the tape and the hands are sloppy and the footwork is a little bad, but but you can also see the athleticism, right? But then you see some other guys that have great technique, but they're on the ground all the time. And I can promise you right now, <clears throat> if you're on the ground a lot in college, you're probably going to be on the ground a lot as opposed. Mm-hmm. So though, that is one of those things that, you know, is a, 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 a kind of an uh, underrated thing about defensive line prospects. It's really any prospects, but definitely defensive line prospects that I look at that maybe I don't see other guys really talking about. Yeah,
1: and I think, like, when you look at a guy like Michael Bennett, his his combine wasn't very impressive, but he he's I think he he's one of the most balanced defensive linemen in the league. Like, you never really see that dude on the ground. Uh, I mean, from inside, I mean, outside, he, he's, he's always, like, going in the right direction, never really getting knocked off his track.
2: Right, and, and guys who, who are really good with their balance are hard to move, too. Most of those guys are really good against uh, the run, because it's, it's hard to move a guy with really good balance. So now, you know, you don't have to have Michael Bennett-type balance, which is, like you said, outstanding. You really don't see him on the ground much. And if he is on the ground, use this because he wants to be there, um, no matter where. I mean, he's taking on, like, you know, kick-out blocks and everything, and he's just finding a way to stay on his feet regardless. He might not make the play, but he ain't on the ground rolling around like a lot of guys would be. You don't have to have that kind of uncanny balance to be, you know, successful as an NFL player, but you just you just can't be, you know, clumsy with your feet. I've seen plenty of guys who just, you know, the numbers are good, they they you know, run if they run in a straight line they're fine. But, you know, it they try to make a move or something and all of a sudden uh they're on the ground. So um yeah, I, like I said, I think that's my little thing, my little big thing, I would say. Yeah.
1: All right. Awesome, uh, Chuck. You got anything else or? No, that's it. Uh really uh, appreciate you coming on and talking to us, Steven. Oh, thanks for having me. You have anything that you want to plug? Anything else that you're going to be uh, working on that's coming out pretty soon?
2: Uh, well, no, I think everybody at this point knows that uh, I do the draft profiles every spring. It's kind of funny. I was thinking about it today. Um, I, it wasn't really even planned that way. Um, when SB Nation first brought me on, it was just to write about you know the NFL during the season, and then you know it went so well that they kind of you know retained me, and so we was like, well, what should I do in the season? Well, well, do these draft profiles. So. It's about to be that time again. Um, I'm not, you know, my approach is a little different. I I don't do the, you know, uh, seven-round mock drafts. I don't get into the weeds with um, a whole bunch of different positions and, you know, the top 100 guys or whatever. I mostly just focus on first-round prospects, uh, guys who play offensive line, defensive line, wide receiver, uh, and... Every once in a while, like a tight end or two. But those are guys that I I feel like I I know enough about to evaluate them and also I see enough of their film to actually be able to evaluate them. And so I'll be getting started on that this week. Um, I I can't tell you when the first profile will be out because sometimes um, I end up, you know, writing about three or four of them before the first one ever even comes out. But I'll be getting started on that this this week. And, And really... You know, the the more I've started, you know, I've been kind of engrossed in writing with the NFL, the further I get away from college football. So most of these guys I'm going to be seeing for the first time. So I'm really excited to get started on that, especially, you know, writing about a guy, you know, Miles Garrett right now seems to be the consensus number one pick. Uh, I did see him a little bit last year when I was watching film on other guys. And and a guy that I'm very familiar, familiar with, Derek Barnett, is another guy I'm looking forward to breaking down. So I'm about to get started on that. You know, anybody, you know, if, if they follow me or they can follow me on SB Nation, just you know, go to my profile. Uh, those uh, draft profiles should be coming out pretty soon. Uh, last year we actually did some draft uh, videos, and I think we might be doing those again this year too.
1: Awesome. All right, so that's gonna wrap up episode thirteen. 13. Yeah. yeah. Episode 13 of 70 Edge. We'll be back next week with our good pal, Miko Grimes to talk about who knows what the hell what. All right. See you guys next week.